Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm Dr. Saul Rosenthal, a health psychologist in the Boston area, and your host as we investigate the incredible connections between brain and body. Our guide today is Manuel Dominic Halter, a psychophysiologist and expert in optimizing performance. For over 20 years, he has studied, taught, and practiced approaches for maximizing health and wellness using biofeedback, neurofeedback, and neurobiomodulation. I talked with him about his interesting backstory, his history with applied psychophysiology, and his work to unlock the best in human potential. Dom, welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body. We're really glad to have you here. Hello, how are you doing? Good, good, thanks. So from your bio, you, you have a really interesting history, and I'm sure a really interesting pathway. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you made your way to biofeedback, neurofeedback, and, and applied psychophysiology. Well, actually, yeah, thank you for having me. And it's actually a very interesting story, I might say, for, my, for myself. So um, back in the day, I, I never thought that I would actually even get into the, any, of this, uh, any of this stuff. But um, after I was done with law school, I decided that's when 9-11 happened. So I kind of drifted into the area of tax law, which wasn't too exciting. And after 9-11, I thought to myself, well, I want to do something with a purpose. So I decided to enlist in the United States Army. So after I enlisted, I was in the infantry for a little bit, and then I decided to go to selection, was selected to go into special forces and become a Green Beret. And so I was in the military for a while. And after several deployments and several explosive incidents and, and being shot in the elbow, I, I realized that I had a lot of stuff going on, especially the closer I got to my retirement. I realized that there were things that I didn't really think were normal. I experienced more rage, more anger, and also more headaches. My eyesight wasn't what it used to be. And all, of thing, all those things I initially thought, maybe it's just age. Maybe I'm aging pretty quickly. <laughs> but then when I went to the VA, um, when it was getting closer to my retirement, I was just giving one prescription after another. And then I had more prescriptions to deal with the side effects of other prescriptions. And so my bag of medications that I left the VA with got bigger and bigger. <laughs> so I realized, well, this is not really doing it for me. And I felt like my... My mental acuity wasn't there. I was, uh, you know, and I wasn't sleeping well. I had nightmares and I was diagnosed with, with all sorts of different things. But I, re- I thought to myself, well, is, is this really it? Is this all we can do for ourselves? Well, at the same time that I was getting closer to retiring from the military, I decided, hey, I'm going to go into um you know, the mental health field and get my, because I had my bachelor's in psychology, I went to law school, but now I thought, hey, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll study a little bit more about, you know, I wanted to know a little bit more about behavior because I was struggling myself. So I was thinking to myself, well, okay. So I went, got in, went into a graduate program, a PhD program for clinical psychology. And I started taking all these brain courses, uh, brain anatomy courses and uh, neuropsychological assessment for adults, for kids. And I went through all that training and I was thinking to myself, well, this is great, great stuff, but how do I really 
how can I really see what's going on in the brain? And then one of our, one of our professors actually, he started a neurofeedback course. Now he was not BCIA or certified in any other way. He was just, it was something that he had done for a while and he was using um, Othmer's equipment. I think it was a Signet mm -hmm. that he was using. Yeah. Anyways, so that, that's how I was introduced to, um, <laughs> to um, neurofeedback. And, but the way we assessed people was just we, looked, we had a, a symptom checklist. And then knowing about brain anatomy, we kind of thought, okay, well, um, this person's over under, under, underactivated under in certain areas. And so we kind of like just used trial and error to understand what's really going on with the brain. And then I was thinking to myself, no, this can't be it. There must be a better way. And so that's when I got into looking at QEG or EEG stuff. And I was, I was amazed with it. And, and I had never personally gotten a neuro, any kind of neurofeedback done up to that point. But uh, one of the clinics that one of my um, co-students or one of the other students that I was in class with uh, that she was working at, they offered 20 sessions for veterans, 20 free sessions. So I was like, okay, let's see if the stuff that I've been learning about, because even though we learned it in school, and we were allowed to use it in clinics with, with patients, we weren't allowed to do neurofeedback on each other. And so I had never experienced it. Then after I experienced it, just after five sessions, I was driving home and, and I was like, you know, usually when I got cut off, I cut off by someone else in, the, in, in, in traffic, I got really upset. I got really irritable. But well, after those five sessions of doing some C3, C4 training, all of a sudden, you know, I had this, this little small time period between when I had the stimulation of being cut off. And then I was like, oh, well, and I was like, wait, what's wrong with me? I'm saying, oh, well. So I noticed that there was something that was changing in me, but I didn't really attribute it to the training. So that was after about four or five sessions. Mm -hmm. Then uh, about another two sessions later, so about another week and a half or so, uh, my wife came up and t told me, hey, what's wrong with you? And I was like, okay, what did I do now? And then she said, no, not what's wrong. I don't mean what's wrong with you in that sense. I'm saying, have you noticed that we haven't had a fight in two weeks and that you're engaging with the kids? And I was like, oh, wow, you're right. And... You know, it wasn't due to any medications. I hadn't changed my medications or anything. Everything was, the only thing that I changed is that I was starting neurofeedback. And then after that, we did, uh, we went from C3, C4 to alpha theta training. Mm -hmm. And during that experience, I was like, oh, wow, um, this is weird because I, I was sometimes going through different, like when I was in those hypnagogic states, I went to different memories about combat that were usually very emote, like that a great emotional valence, but all of a sudden the emotional valence was gone and I could just, I was there with the experience. It was odd. It was really strange to me. And then I just, you know, I didn't expect anything, but right after we started the alpha theta training, my sleep improved. My nightmares started to not be, I didn't have as many nightmares. So over time, I was like, man, this is amazing. It, and just with that, I was happy. I didn't know that it was going to get even better. 
And I had done at that point probably like 12 or 13 sessions of just neurofeedback. And it was not based on EEG. It was, like I said, it was just using Signet and not really using the EEG data. And I was thinking to myself, wait a second, this can be so much better. And that's how I really got interested in, in this stuff. And eventually I learned about neurofeedback. I went to a neurofeedback course. Then I was like, ooh, they're also doing an EEG course, a QEG course. So I went to those courses. Then I was like, wait a second. I know that, well, I came from the intel f- field. In, uh, so I was in uh, Special Forces Intelligence Sergeant for my team. So one of the... One of our rules of thumb was in order to take anybody, any source that we had in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, to take them at their word, Mm -hmm. uh, we wouldn't just say, okay, we're going to take what you say seriously. But if at least three different sources corroborated information, then it was something that we looked into more seriously. And the same thing happened with, so I thought about this when it comes to EEG and HRV and performance metrics. I was thinking to myself, well, there must be a way to put this process together and get three different independent sources that tell me about the well-being of, the, of an individual. So that's when I started using self-report metrics, which are like how the person is experiencing the world around them. And I looked at metrics that were organizational metrics because that's what my PhD is in. I was, I'm an IO psychologist and uh, yet they allowed me to use the clinical stuff that I learned in the clinical program in my PhD. So that was amazing. So, so I included all these different um, modalities of biofeedback in my dissertation, but I was thinking to myself, well, I can't with a good conscience say these things that I say in my dissertation without knowing that I'm really, that I really know what I'm doing. So before I graduated with my PhD, I decided I want to be certified in all these different things. So I got certified and I had great mentors to help me along the way. And so uh, to make a long story short, I then put this process together with with the help of the command surgeon at the time and the the command psychologist at, uh, at SOCOM, Special Operations Command. And uh, we created this process where we used, like I said, self-report metrics that would tell us so one source of where the person was um, and how they experienced their current situation or condition. Then we then I used EEG as well as HRV metrics and skin conductance and temperature, and we could collect all of those simultaneously. Then we also. I thought, hey, it would be great to have some kind of cognitive performance test. So eventually we started using the brain gauge, which is a type of a very discreet way of testing certain, just certain aspects or pathways in the brain. So now I had three or more different sources about what's going on within a person that I could use as evidence to corroborate each other. So I'll, so whatever I saw as matches, that's where we would then start with our with our protocol development for either biofeedback, neurofeedback, mindfulness training, whatever is indicated for that individual. And at first, it took about three hours to take somebody <laughs> through the assessment, and you know, uh, cleaning the EEG, and then so that we know we have the right metrics. 
and then looking at the all this information and putting it all together and i was like oh my gosh how am i going to do this at for and have this be at a scalable level so eventually i tried out all different systems i tried everything from the nexus 32 thought technology uh, we used the iSync Wave more recently. Then I used the Quick 20R. <laughs> so all sorts of different um, soft. And then I used a NeuroGuide. I used WinEEG. Uh, and I learned as much as I could about those. Then, so all these different software applications. And what I didn't realize at the time is that all of those different software applications and amplifiers have strengths and weaknesses. And I was like, you know what would, be, what would be great and what my dream would be is all these people get came together and used the strengths of all of those and put together one super system. So, so that's how the process started. Mm -hmm. Then a year I went to the Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute up in West Virginia at West, West, West Virginia University. And um, there I learned about what all the researchers that were not necessarily in the mental health arena, but they were more in the performance arena and what the research they were doing in terms of EEG. And I was like, there's so much more out there that some of us who are in, in the BCIA, IQCB arena, you know, the APB, ISNR, that we are not really even touching yet or not to the extent that we could. And so I was... Uh, so I was, I was integrating all that stuff that I learned from there with what I already learned previously. And I, and I put it all together and I worked with uh, several athletes at the, at the, what's it called, at the uh, Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute. And, uh, you know, I was wondering, you know, I, I'd never really worked as it, like using that on a team or a team members of a sports team. So then I worked with a basketball team. And so one of my coworkers, he's like, well, I told the coach of what you're doing and he wants you to come and do some stuff with some athletes. I was like, well, what does he want me to do? You know, I, I had no idea. Then he said, oh, there's just one star athlete that they have and he's jumping out when he does a jump shot off of one leg, he does really well. Then he's, when he switches legs, he for some reason is not making the making the baskets as as often and i was like so what do you want me to do <laughs> like I'm, I'm not a coach especially not an ncaa coach you know i'm just me well then i was like well what can it hurt i just i was i was just gonna demonstrate to them how the eeg stuff works and at first i thought well what am i gonna do eeg wise and I thought to myself, well, I know there's going to be a lot of artifact, but I had the quick 20R, so it was portable Bluetooth. And I was like, I'm wondering if I could just see the differences in different areas of the brain when he's jumping in from one leg versus the other leg. And I had learned up to that point that the neuronal efficiency of experts is a lot better than with novices. So some of the research that I had read. And so I was th thinking to myself, well, okay, let's see what I can see. So then I set up my laptop. I put the quick 20 on, on on this person. Everybody's making fun of him and laughing. It was a good time. And well, <laughs> so then I asked him, okay, uh, with the coach was sitting next to me and my coworker was sitting on the other side. And we were looking at the screen and I explained to them kind of what we're looking at. 
And so then I asked him to jump off of one leg and do some jump shots. So he did. Then he switched to the other leg. And I was like, wait a second. I see some. Oh, can you do that again? And he did again. Like we, we went through this like three or four times. And I was like, you know what I think from what I can see here? He is thinking too much when he's jumping off of one leg versus the other. And then he said, well, then the coach asked me, well, what do we do about that? I was like, well, tell him not to think. I don't know. <laughs> so, so essentially, so that's, then, then he told us that, yeah. Then I asked him, um, is, are you thinking more when you're jumping off of one leg than the other? He's like, well, uh, yeah, I broke my, le my left leg when I, in high school. That was two years earlier. And ever since then, I'm kind of apprehensive when I jump to a jump shot off of that leg. And I was like, that's what it is. It is your thinking. And so the coach worked with him to automatize that process more and more. Two weeks later, I got an email from the coach telling me, hey, the, his shooting percentage is almost the same on both legs now. And I was like, think to myself, this is awesome. And again, that was just something that was not, I didn't even expect that to happen. But those kind of things happen more and more. So then when I came back to the Special Operations Command, I realized that a lot of people, a lot of the people that I was training, um, you know, and looking at their, th those metrics that I was collecting, that a lot of them appeared like they were fatigued and not recovered from both the EEG and the heart rate variability metrics. I could tell that, you know, these people aren't fully recovered. So then they learned, then I started teaching them more and more. Like, so then I started the process. I was like, okay, before I really do any kind of neurofeedback that involves some of the cognitive processes that they want to work on, I have to first help them to calm down or relax, get to a state where they're more relaxed because then they can more effectively use the other areas of their brain. And so we started using more like um, heart rate variability training almost exclusively at the beginning of every type of training. And I was like, oh my gosh, just this alone improved people's sleep, improved people's uh, like every, just about everything that they were struggling with. And just within the first few sessions, because they were so happy with what we did, because in every session I could show them, this is how you're changing. This is how you're progressing. So they told me that, you know, I, whenever I go to a psych or somebody else, all they tell me is I tell them what's happening to me and they tell me, yeah, this is what's wrong with me. But you are actually showing me numbers of what's happening. And I was like, wow, there are people who had tears in their eyes. They were telling me, hey, look, this is the first time somebody could actually objectively from numbers tell me what's going on with me. And I understand it. And I was like, that is exactly why I got into this and why I have such a passion for this, because I was a soldier just like them. And, you know, being told by family members consistently and, and friends that there's something wrong with you. Yeah, we knew that we were different just from the selection process itself. We were all, you know, very different. And you could tell a Green Beret or a Navy SEAL or anybody in special operations community just by talking to them in a bar. You wouldn't need to have a, you know, a, 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 like a, 
a PhD in anything to, to, to really see that. But what was really nice is that we could actually not just talk about those changes, which were very subjective, but objectively point to them on an EEG or any of the other metrics that we collected. And what was really nice about this assessment process, it was so effective in guiding our protocol development. And I hadn't realized that until, uh, until we were like a few years into this, uh, into this um, doing this process and, 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 and training uh, soldiers with it. But it got so effective eventually that uh, all the clinical people on base that were, because, you know, soldiers don't, don't like to go to clinical people because, you know, because of, uh, of all the potential implications that it may have for their jobs. So the stigma, even though it's a lot less than it used to be, it's still there. And especially if, if you know, you see some kind of epileptiform activity in the brain and then you set the, send them to a neurologist and then, of course, they are scared about what's happening to, with their career. So all of that we had to somehow mitigate. And the best thing that we did was um, we were able to most of the, I mean, there were only a few people where we saw any kind of activity that was kind of disturbing where they went to a neurologist, but they got the help they need. But then there were also people who had heart conditions they didn't know of, certain arrhythmias that they weren't aware of. And then just by, when we did the assessment, we were then able to send them to the right people. And, and they got the help that they, were, they actually needed before they retired. Then there were individuals who, for instance, we had our, our SOCOM commander who came to us because, you know, he, and he asked us after we did the assessments, like, wh where was this my entire career? And I was like, well, it was there. It's just that nobody had taken advantages of, advantage of it yet. Well, it sounds like what you've done is moved it from kind of the realm of the, quote, clinical, more to the realm of performance and efficiency and just in you know the having worked in 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 VA medical centers and with some active uh personnel as well th there's nothing that i think would bring them on board than saying we've got a way to make you a better soldier mm -hmm. uh, more efficient exactly so and that's what I, I tell a lot of my friends who are clinicians as, as well as the, well, in my, I work for In Mind Out as well. And I, I <laughs> as you know, and I, I tell them, you know, what's really nice about this. If I look at somebody's brain, I don't look at them as a clinical person or a performance person. I look at the brain. And when I do my assessment, I do it in a way that I don't know if other, anybody else is doing it this way, but I decided to keep myself unbiased. I don't even, I, I mean, I get to meet the person, say hi but I tell them, I don't wanna know anything about you at all. I'm Dr. Halter, I'm gonna do the analysis and give you the review, and here is my coworker, and he's going to go through all the performance tests and the, the self-report measures and collect all that data. And then immediately after that, they come to me and I do the EEG assessment, hook them up to everything, and the HRV and the, the skin conductance and the temperature. So we have all that data. Then after that, I analyze it while they go to the, th well, the third stage would be the, the performance assessment, the cognitive performance assessment, which my coworker did as well. 
So in the meantime, while they're doing that, this 15 to 20 minute cognitive assessment, I analyze all the data and I put it all together, the objective data, and I form hypotheses in my mind. So I look at the raw data first for my hypothesis. Then I go through all the, Q, the quantitative metrics and, and compare that and then either corroborate or not corroborate what my hypotheses were. And eventually, once that person is done, all I have to do is compare what my hypotheses already are based on the other objective stuff to their performance in the, in the, in the, on the cognitive performance and their self-report metrics and uh, take about five to 10 minutes to look at all of that together. And then I can brief or give the person a review. And then I put together a report for them. So again, that whole process now it took us, uh, the, la the last time we did it, um, it takes us about an hour to an hour and a half total to do all of that. So that makes it scalable. We can actually do that for as if we have enough teams. That is of uh, of providers. Then we had a team of three. So I was the person who did the analysis. Then we had another person who does all the other testing. Then we had a third person who then did the neurofeedback and biofeedback. I would just tell them this is the protocol. This is what you do with them, and then they went to this to this individual. And our throughput was literally. Uh, and we also had a great way of giving them wearables that they could take home where we could track their, their, their performance and their training. And so, of course, if they did HRV and mindfulness and all those, they could just come in once a week and, you know, go home and practice that. But when it came to neurofeedback, we had them come in three times a week. But then, I, then we realized, hey, if we put biofeedback, neurofeedback, and then on top of that, the bio, the photobiomodulation, all together in one session, it was like, I mean, they improve, improved so drastically. It was, it was exciting, but also kind of, I was wondering if, if this is really, if, if these people are just making stuff up or if they're really getting better. But then we realized that we had people from different commands who didn't know each other come in on the same day and tell us the same thing. So then we were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So that is, that is what we've done in the military. And so now we've also, uh, um, we have this military course, military and first responder course um, that we're offering, that we're gonna be teaching. And this will be part of what we explain to people of how we were able to do this for the military and how you can do the same with your first responders. Because it's not, and it's it's not any different than what we're already doing in our community. It's like I didn't create something that is amazing. I just put the amazing thing that, uh, things that other people did together in a very, um, I guess, uh, a, a very scalable format, where now we can offer this to literally. Um, as I was going there earlier. So we were, were able to offer this to, uh, when we just did the assessment portion, we were able to offer this to about 68 soldiers or service members in a two-week period. So that's how many assessments we did. Then to, once we added the biofeedback and neurofeedback and all the training components, we were still able to serve about 30 to 32 people, service members, consistently every, every month. 
So, and as, as one person left, we had space for a new person. But then we, you know, now we're getting bigger and bigger. And um, again, we are at, <laughs> at SOCOM, we're always thinking big. So, I mean, we were coming up with a plan to serve up to 27,000 soldiers in one year. Hmm. Wow. That, that would be quite, quite a program. But we need help. And what we don't have is enough practitioners who know how to, how to do this stuff. To me, one, one of the things that seems really powerful about this approach is you are integrating what you know about optimal, optimal performance and efficiency and integrating that with what their brain is telling you, what their bodies are telling you. So you're not just implementing the you know, alpha training for efficiency, you, and you're not just looking at the QEEG and saying here, here, and here. You're really bringing it all together and developing mm-hmm. uh, individualized plans. And the thought of doing that for 27,000 military personnel is, is, I mean, it's fantastic. It's, it's a great, it's a great goal. And it's, it seems like what's, what's in your way is there's not enough of us <laughs> who are able to, to do the, to do the, to do that work. Exactly. It, that's one, one of the things that we need more of is us, but at the same time, also we need to work together more because if we all work apart from each other and have our own great ways of doing things, but don't share it more effectively, we, in, in effect, what we're doing is we're hurting those people who could have that service who need it. For instance, if we had more of us to, uh, to provide this service, and we would have more buy-in from more individuals in the military at top levels in the military, then we could offer this to individuals in a lot more effective way. But I feel like that that has been one of the biggest struggles for me is to, as, as just, you know, I mean, initially when I first got to um, the Special Operations Command, I was told, be careful who you talk to about neurofeedback. Because, you know, you will, you'll be shut down really quickly if you talk to the wrong people. And so I was like, uh, maybe I won't talk about neurofeedback, but I'll talk about EEG. <laughs> so I talked about EEG. And so that was then, you know, the assessment portion of it was the big thing that people actually bought into. It's like we can do an assessment using the EEG without necessarily using it for um for neurofeedback purposes. So what the other great thing that came from that is that, for instance, let's say we had clinicians or we had other people using EMDR or using other types uh, or other modalities for, for treatment. We could tell them, look, you can use this assessment and the results of that to guide your treatment and to tell you if it's working for that individual. We don't have to necessarily, and that's when people were really getting excited about this. It's like, wow. Yes, you're not, you're not necessarily telling us to, to change our ways. You're just giving us another way of looking at data that may help us, that may, you know, in, our, in the assessments that we already do. And so that's when I told them, yeah. And just to make sure that you understand this, the QEG does not tell me if somebody has ADHD or OCD or any of those different um, clusters or presentations. What it tells me is, if there's a neuronal 
inefficiency somewhere that we can help based on what we see in the EEG and all the other metrics, along with what you're telling me you're doing, along with the performance metrics. When we put all those together, we see specifically what is not functioning the way it's supposed to. I don't really, and so what was really also nice is that diagnostic was not important, necessary for what we did. We just said, hey, this is an area of the brain that you may be struggling with. So whenever somebody, a client, for instance, or a soldier tells me their goal, I write down their goal and then um, I change all the words of their goal to something that I could pick up on an EEG. Like at this, uh, at this channel, you know, if I see, it, you know, this is what we should work on or, you know, using the, you know, looking at this network or whatever, whatever's indicated. So then I, I translate what their goal is into basically QEG language or, or psychophysio language because that is then what I can use to develop their training protocol. And I mean, it makes it so effective to be able to pinpoint and using all this information to triangulate what exactly it is that we're doing and then being able to track that over time. We've had people who improved their attention over time and then they were stagnant for a while. But guess what happened? When we looked at the records, that was when the person had COVID. And still at that point, they were able to maintain. So, and that was huge for us because we were thinking, okay, we're not effective. This is, you know, they're plateauing, but it wasn't. It was making them more resilient because otherwise, if that wouldn't have been the case, they may have dropped uh, dropped back down to a different level of performance, especially attention wise. So a lot of the, like we had, I think six or seven uh, service members that during the process, when they were with us, they had COVID at, at some point during the training and none of them went back to baseline or got worse than when they were training with us. And, and when they came back, they were able to continue uh, training at that same level. So uh, to me, that was a huge, um, it was, it, it was really exciting because we could see that, wow, this type of training is making people not just more optimally performing, but also it helps them to be resilient and maintain performance. And, uh, we shared that, that, that data with our leadership and everybody was really excited. Now I just can't wait for it to get out into more places and for more people to see. Well, hopefully this is, this will get, get, help you out hopefully in a little bit with that anyway. So I, I do like to end with some one thing questions. So what, what, what is one thing our audience should take away from this discussion? One thing, um, well, there's so many, but the biggest thing that I would like people to take away from this discussion is that by putting these different modalities together, there's a synergistic effect in using all these modalities together in training and not just training using one modality such as, you know, HRV or temperature or neurofeedback, but com combining all those into, into one is, has proven highly effective with, with, uh, in our population. Then the other thing is share your experiences. Everybody share your experiences more with other individuals. 
don't look at it that this is this is my little you know um slice of pizza share the pizza with everybody because that's the way our community is going to grow and we have great tools here to help soldiers and to help first responders people who really need it but we have to find a way to more effectively communicate our successes with each other and um yeah but that's that's one of the big things and also that uh, when you look at individuals look at the brain first it's waving at you look at the, the physiology it's waving at you don't try to match something that is a, a like a cluster of different uh all these th different symptoms and try to make their eeg fit those don't do that the eeg will tell you what you need to know and some of those symptoms of those clusters will match what you see in the eeg but don't try to address the whole cluster of symptoms using neurofeedback address the ones that you actually see in the physiology those are wise words i i really appreciate also that you shared with us your story of how you you got here uh and and using neurofeedback and other uh, psychophysiological approaches, but I'm, I'm curious about, uh, currently is there, you know, what one optimization practice do you currently use that you'd recommend to others? I think, uh, if I'd had to pick the three different training, uh, protocols for lack of a better word, I would pick these, I would pick heart rate variability training, training somebody to breathe diaphragmatically and really optimize their you know the efficiency of the autonomic nervous system playing together you know as, and nicely the sympathetic parasympathetic breath the sympathetic branches that is one that has been huge then when it comes to neurofeedback any type of smr training has been so huge then the next uh, and my favorite <laughs> out of all of them is alpha theta training I mean, that by far to me has been the most useful with the biggest range of people, because regardless of what you're dealing with, whether you want to be more cognitively sharp, more creative, you know, performing better at a higher level, I've seen huge changes just by through alpha theta training. But of course, adding all of those together, why not get the biggest bang for your buck? But uh, I think that... Um, that is also the almost the exact progression that I use HRVs and that SMR training and alpha theta training. And I've used other things as well, but those are the three most common modalities that I use for to train um, to train the people that we that I'm working with the military. And I think that that you know, like I said, always customize the training to the individual and their needs, but it just uh, like looking back at what came to the surface is those uh, those three types of training have been highly valuable in a soldier's uh, performance improvement and the other one that we didn't do for too long yet is the photobiomodulation that has been also huge i mean we had people just uh i mean their improvements just and literally, that they exponentially rose just by adding photobiomodulation. And it, 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 I, I see that it can be a game changer as well in this whole 
psychophys stuff that we're doing. I think that's that's absolutely true. Well, well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to your NRBS talk in a few weeks. Yes, well, thank you very much for having me. And again, like I said, um, for those people who work with first responders, there are uh, there are courses put out by not just In Mind Out and Successful Practitioner and for the mil- military course for biofeedback and neurofeedback, but there are also some other companies that are offering those. But if you're interested and you're listening to this podcast and you work with those populations, please, please feel free to contact any of those companies who are offering those courses. And I'll put links into the show notes to make that easier for people. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. You are listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. Our guide today was Manuel Dominic Halter, psychophysiologist and expert in optimizing wellness. Join us when he presents his free webinar on June 30th about maximizing cognitive performance for members of the military. Register by following the link in the show notes. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy it, please subscribe, rate us, and leave reviews at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Reviews help us get to more listeners, and that's more people who can learn about and benefit from biofeedback and neurofeedback. Also, let us know what you think by sending us email. Our address is healthybrain at nrbs.org. Healthy Brain Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. It is a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org to find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. All opinions expressed are those of our guests and not the NRBS. This podcast is not meant to replace advice from qualified healthcare providers. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body. Happy Body.